Well, turn with me this morning to Ezra chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9, and we'll uh, see chapters 9 and 10 this morning. This will be our last consideration of the, the book of Ezra in this study. In Ezra chapter 9, verse 1, it says, When these things were done, the leaders came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair on my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel also assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Verse 10 of chapter 10, if you'll look over the next page, says, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the pagan wives. And then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. This is the word of God. The, the main theme, the subject uh, of chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Ezra is that of repentance. Uh, it's a note that if we were writing a book, probably wouldn't end on. Uh, but here Ezra, as he records these events, he ends on this uh, this need for in, the, in Israel at this time for repentance. And a lot of times we use that word, it gets thrown around some in pulpits or Sunday school classes. It's not a word we use much uh, in our just everyday life. And so there may be some misunderstanding even of, of what it is. A couple of things we need to know about repentance though is that repentance, one, is necessary for salvation. Repentance is necessary for salvation because when Jesus came, when he began preaching the gospel at the very beginning of his ministry, what was his message? His message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark records, he says, repent and believe the gospel. And we know that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. All that we have to do in order to be born again is to turn our eyes to Jesus, to put our trust in Him, and He washes us and makes us clean by the blood of Christ. But when we are born again, if repentance does not take place, then the faith was not genuine. It is repentance and faith, because repentance isn't really a work. You think of... Uh, if I come home from a trip and I've got my bags in my hand and my wife and my kids meet me at the door, for me to drop my bags so that I can embrace my wife and my children, that wasn't some grand work to let go of my bags. And so it is when we are born again. We have our sin. We have our self-righteousness. We have all the things that we cling to in the world. And whenever Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest... 
And we come to embrace Christ and we release those things. That's repentance. We're letting go of the world. We're letting go of our sin, our own self-righteousness, so that we may embrace Christ. Repentance in that sense is not a work, but it is necessary for salvation. Remember 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He's long-suffering towards us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? What's the opposite of perish? Because perish is, is being lost. That's, that's being doomed in our sin for all eternity. And he says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. So repentance is necessary for salvation, but repentance also is necessary for the continuing of the Christian life. Repentance isn't a, a, a one and done, and I did that, I got saved, and I'm good, and I can go on how I like now. No, the, the Christian life is one that is marked by repentance. Once we have passed from death to life, once we put our faith in Jesus and been born again, your soul is saved, your fate is sealed, heaven is your home, God is your Father. Christ your Savior. But we must continue in a lifestyle of repentance. All, almost all the churches that Jesus addressed in Revelation 2 and 3, He commanded them to repent. You think of Ephesus. He says, you've got all these things going for you. You've done all this, this good. A lot of things look good in your church. But He says, I have this one thing against you, and that it's you've left your first love. You don't love me like you did at the start. And what's his command to them? He says, therefore, repent and remember from where you've fallen. So repentance is a necessary part of the everyday Christian life. As God brings to our attention sin that's in our life, we repent and we forsake it. Well, what does real repentance look like? And I think in chapters 9 and 10, the, the, the events of, of these chapters and, and in the life of Ezra, we see what Real repentance looks like. Let me just give you five words. Five words that I think uh, describe repentance. Number one is realization. Realization. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that uh, someone came to Ezra and told him that the people, including the priests and the Levites, the leaders of the people, had not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. Israel's sin was that they married in with the pagans of the lands around them. I just want to be clear from the start, this is not a racial issue. This isn't racial prejudice, it's a spiritual issue. It's not that they were of another race, it was that they were of a race of people who, who practiced idolatry. They worshipped false gods. They committed wicked sins in the eyes of God. And God says, do not mix with those people. Now God made provision so that if people from those nations saw the God of Israel and saw Israel as they worshipped Him and that's what they wanted and they came that they could be brought in and they could be purified and cleansed and they could be married and be part of the family of God. We look in the lineage of Jesus in the New Testament and we see people who did just that. Rahab and Ruth and others. But the sin had to be identified. Now, how do we identify sin in our lives? There's several ways. The first and probably the most important is the book that you have in your lap. The Word of God. There are many benefits to spending time in God's Word, in the Bible, every day. But one is simply this, is that it serves as a mirror to show us who we really are. It shows us our, our sin and our flaws as, as we look at God's standard and shows us the areas we need to repent of. 
we realize our sin as we read Scripture. Sometimes God causes us to realize our sin from other Christians. And that's probably the least comfortable way to find out that you've been sinning. Or to have it pointed out to you is when another Christian observes your life and they're mature in the faith and they see it and they come to you in love and in kindness and say, listen, I, I think you're probably trying to do right, but what you're doing here, that's sin. Are you willing to humble yourself to hear words like that from fellow Christians? I hope so. Um, preaching. This guy that stands up front and tells you what the Bible says every week. Sometimes God will use that to bring sin to your mind. But also he speaks through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God will just bring things to your mind through circumstances and also as you read scripture. The sin in Israel wasn't in spite of the leaders. It wasn't that the leaders were trying to do right and they were going their own way anyway, but it was actually after their example. And that's what made it so hard for, for Ezra to, to accept, I believe, was the fact that verse 2 says, um, indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So just because you might be in a position of leadership does not mean that, that you're always a good example. Just because you're in a position of leadership doesn't mean you don't have to watch your life. You deacons, people look at you. Sunday school teachers, people look at you. Discipleship group leaders, people look at you. What kind of example do you set when, when we see sins in the church? Is it in spite of the leaders and the way they're trying to make things go? Or is it after the example of the leaders? And I have to consider my own self in that way as well. But sin must be identified before we will ever repent. I wonder if you would ask God, if you would be so bold as to ask him to show you the sin in your life so that you can repent of it. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do that right now. I know we usually pray at the end. Can we pray in the middle of a sermon? Is that okay? Let's just pray what the Bible says. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? This is what David says in the Psalms. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to tell you from experience that if you get serious with God and you pray that prayer, often in that moment, He'll begin to bring things to your mind that you need to take care of. It's painful, it's not pleasant, but it is for your good and it will bring you such joy. So the first is realization. The second is brokenness. Brokenness. See, to simply identify sin is useless if you don't care that you're sinning. Look there, verse 3, what, what, what happened to Ezra when he heard of this sin. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe. I plucked out some of the hair of my head and my beard, and I sat down astonished. Have you ever been so... disgusted at your own sin that you weren't able to function in your daily life that you had a hard time going about your day because you had such a realization such a brokenness over your own sin that's where Ezra was he says that he, he goes and he just sits until the evening sacrifice. He sat all day, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, he didn't talk, he didn't get up and go preach a sermon, he didn't try to tell people what they were doing wrong, he was just broken. 
And friend, I pray that God will bring us to such a point. That's something God has to do. God has to give you that kind of tender heart. For the most part, we've exposed ourselves to sin in such a way with everything else in the world that we're so callous to it. It doesn't bother us anymore. I wonder if you would pray that God would break you over your sin. Not just bring it to your attention, though I hope he does that, but when he brings it to your attention, you see how offensive it is to him. And that he'll break your heart for it. He didn't go to work. He didn't preach a sermon. He just sat. Astonished. Brokenness drove Ezra to fasting and prayer. And you know, last week I called this church to, 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 to fast and pray every Wednesday between now and Easter. And one of the things we're praying for is for our own humility and holiness. And I wonder if during your fast this week, if you just turn off the TV, if you'll just sit alone and ask God to show you sin in your life and break your heart over it. That's something only God can do. Number three is confession. Confession. The rest of the chapter, verse 6 through 15, is Ezra's prayer of confession. Notice that genuine confession doesn't downplay sin. Verse 6, he says, I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Now, how do we usually confess sin? Yes, I know I, know I did this, but, you know, they really shouldn't have talked to me that way in the first place. You know, I said that and it wasn't kind, but I had good reason. You just have to know them. Yeah, I did that, but everybody does it. You know, it's, it's not, not that big of a deal. And we try to downplay our sin and make it where it's not as bad as it actually is. But Ezra, he prays, he says, no, our sin, it's like a mountain. Our sin's piled so high, it's going to reach the heavens. I'm ashamed to even lift my face towards you. I remember the... The story that Jesus told in the New Testament about the, the publican and the, the Pharisee. And the publican wouldn't even lift his head toward heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was broken and he confessed his sin. Confession makes us turn to God's mercy. Look at verse 7. He says, since the days of our fathers to this day, we've been very guilty. For our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the land. To the sword, to captivity, to plunder, to humiliation, as it is this day. They've experienced this already. That's the reason they went into captivity in the first place. It was because they were mixing with the people around them and worshiping their idols. God said, if you don't turn away, you're going to be taken captive by your enemies. They didn't turn away. They were taken captive by their enemies for 70 years. They've already been through this. In verse 8, he says, and now for a little while, the grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, to give us a peg, just a peg in his holy place. That our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves. Yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. He extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. To revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. They've experienced God's mercy. They're only in Jerusalem because of the mercy of God. Christian, do you remember where you were before God saved you? You've already been through the troubles of sin and God has delivered you. 
I don't know all your stories. I don't know everything you were caught up in. Some of your sin might have been public and everybody knew that you were a heathen. Some of you may have had private sins in the heart and before God it was offensive, but everybody else just assumed you were a good person. But wherever you were, you were lost, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, you were on your way to hell. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together in Jesus Christ by his grace. He's shown you his mercy. He's shown you his grace. He's brought you from death to life. Verse 10, and now, O our God, what shall we say? For we've broken your commandments. Verse 13, he says, after all that's come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. You feel that way? God's punished you much less than your iniquities deserve. And have given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break your commandments? And join in marriage with the people and commit these abominations. Should we who have been saved from sin, we who have been made new creatures in Christ, turn again and take up that old way of life? Take up those old sins. Should we? Paul says, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, God's gracious. He said he is. He says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So let's just keep on sinning so that God can just give us more grace. He says, God forbid. Never let it be. Because if you've been born again, you're dead to sin. It doesn't have any hold on you. You don't owe your flesh anything. Should we turn again and put ourselves back in bondage after we've been delivered? This is true confession. That past experience of God's mercy makes our present sin all the more heinous. It's bad enough to be in sin and have God deliver us. That's a wonderful thing that He's done. But it's worse to have been delivered from sin and to turn and go right back into it. When one person gets serious about dealing with sin, often others are moved to do the same. Ezra is getting serious about the sin in Israel. You notice his prayer isn't, these people are doing this, these people are doing that, you guys are, are, are sinners. No, he says, we. It's like Isaiah. The first five chapters, he's like, woe to you, woe to you, woe unto you, woe unto you. Chapter 6 comes along, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees him exalted in the temple and he looks and he says, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God, give us such a, a, a view of you that we see our sin for what it is. Do it here today. God, do this in our hearts. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. Shechaniah came up and he said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God. And have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. 
yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Indeed, there is hope when we confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9, you know it. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess your sin is to agree with God that what you did was wrong, it was offensive, and it deserves punishment. And if we confess our sins to God in that way, we get serious about it. He is faithful. He will forgive us and cleanse us because he's good. He's merciful. He's kind. But repentance is not complete if we stop with confession. And that's the fourth thing is separation. Separation. Real repentance here results in action. Verse 3, he says, Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives, according to the advice of my master, and those who tremble at the commandment of God. Now I just want to be clear about one thing. This is a covenant issue in Israel. They have a covenant with God that they will live a certain way and not do certain things. And so in this case, the, the, the drastic action that needed, to be, that needed to take place was that they needed to dissolve these marriages. Because uh, the, the prophets say that they were forsaking their wives in Israel so that they could go after and marry these pagan wives. Now that's not an example for Christians. Okay? If you're married to an unbeliever, the New Testament is clear that you stay in that marriage so, so long as there's not abuse there. You know, get to safety if something's wrong. But if, you're, if your spouse isn't a Christian, you don't leave them over that. Um, the scripture is clear that you should stay with them and live a godly example before them and in hopes to win them. In Israel's case, the, the point is this, is that drastic action had to take place to separate themselves from their sin. Repentance here is not a mere change of mind. That's some of the popular teaching that's around there right now is that repentance just means to change your mind about something. Well, yes, but what use is a change of mind if it doesn't result in action? So repentance is a change of heart or a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Because you really haven't changed your mind about something if you don't change the way you live. Namely, here, separation from sin. I, I, could, I can't name every sin that's in your lives, okay? I can't, probably can't name every sin that's in my life. And I don't know what steps you need to take to separate from that sin. But if your sin is pornography, separation for you is cut off your access, go tell somebody and get some help. A mature Christian around you, a biblical counselor or a pastor, cut it off, get rid of it, separate yourself from that sin. If it's gossip, you need to stop talking. And you need to retrace your steps and go back to the people you've talked to and make it right. That's separation from sin. And, and your sin may be uh, things that you're actively doing. Your sins may be things that you're not doing that you should be doing. 
The Bible is clear for Christians. We have a commandment to go and make disciples, to be witnesses and to tell the good news about Jesus to our neighbors. And if you're not doing that, repentance, separation from that sin, is to confess it to God, make it right, and go tell somebody about Jesus. I'll just go ahead and tell you, you were here Wednesday night, I shared this with you a little bit. God did this in me this week. Spent some time here in prayer, reading the scriptures, asking the Lord to show me some sins in my life. What, what is it that I need to confess? What do I need to, to repent of? Because you can't preach a sermon on repentance if you're de dealing with your own sin, right? Came across a passage of scripture. I have not been as faithful a witness as God wants me to be. The only action I needed to take right that moment, I was sitting right here on these steps, just praying in here alone. Nobody else was here. I got up, went and grabbed my jacket, grabbed a gospel track off the rack in the hall, and walked to one of our neighbors here at the church and just asked him outright, has anybody told you about Jesus? And we had a good, long conversation. And that might be what you need to do. There might be something you're not doing that you need to go do it today. And there might be something that you are doing that you need to stop it today. Repentance is not complete unless you separate from sin. The fifth thing is this, accountability. Accountability. The rest of the chapter says that the people have gathered, they hear the word from Ezra that they need to repent, they need to put away these wives, and they say, man, that's, that's not, not going to happen overnight. You know, there's a lot to work out. Some of these people really have uh, believed, they believe in our God, and they're, they're living faithful, and we need to keep those marriages together. And, you know, some of these people are, are, are living with idol worshipers and they need to separate. And this is going to take some time to work through this. So they set up some leaders, some judges over the people for them to come and talk to. And there was a process of accountability where they were working with one another and dealing with their sin. That does not happen in Baptist churches today. If, a, if a, a men's discipleship group or a women's discipleship group, for that matter, gets together and one of the members in the group says, hey, I need y'all to pray for me. I need some help. Um, I looked at pornography yesterday. Everybody's chins would be on the floor because nobody speaks that openly about their sin. But that's what needs to be taking place. We need to foster an environment where we can speak with one another. You know, not, you don't need to stand up in front of the church and tell everybody all your dirt. But I'll tell you, I've got two guys in my life that know everything about me. And I confess all, well, every sin that I know that I need to confess to them, I confess my sins to them and they to me. And we hold one another accountable. And when we get together, we say, how are you doing in this area? Well, I'm doing pretty good here, you know, or maybe, you know, I've had a struggle in this area this week or whatever it is. You could speak openly about those things. Man, James says... Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. There is healing that is not happening in churches because Christians aren't open enough to share their faults with one another. Find you a mature Christian. If it's something big enough you don't want to talk to anybody else in here about, come talk to me. Go talk to a biblical counselor. I don't care, but talk to another Christian and confess your faults and obey the scriptures. Find some way to hold yourself accountable because you won't stop sinning on your own. You need other people. Church, let me be clear about this. Before we can experience any real blessing from God, we must experience real repentance towards God. You hear me? Before we will experience any real blessing from God, we must experience real repentance towards God. So what is it that God's brought to your mind sitting in this room this morning that you need to repent of? I hope you realize it. 
I pray that God will break you over it, that you'll confess it. But it just starts with confession because then you've got to separate from it. Find somebody to hold you accountable so you don't fall back into it. We're just going to have some time for prayer now. Just bow your heads where you are. I'm going to pray, and it'll just be silent in here for a few minutes. Do business with God. Get your heart right. Father, I pray that you would do your work in our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, illumine our minds. Convict our hearts. Apply your truth. And lead us to make the right decisions that need to be made here today. That we'll experience real repentance. Move in this time of quiet, I pray in Jesus' name.